Welcome to Rhode Island's Church and State Podcast. I'm David. And I'm Jessica. We're a husband and wife podcast. He's a pastor and I'm a state senator. So you've been warned. We're about to talk politics and religion. And anything else that might get us canceled. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Rhode Island's Church and State. I am David and I'm joined by my wife, Jessica. Say hello. Hello. And uh, Every week we start the same way. As yeah. I'm like, Hello. <laughs> Well, I, I just don't want there to be any empty time. I guess so. On there, uh, well, it, there's been a lot happening in the state once again uh, this past week. I thought today we'd focus just on the uh, Department of Health, since there's been uh, uh, they've been back in the news, and you've been having a lot of conversations uh, with that department uh, th- this past week. Frustrating conversations. If uh, you missed it, Doctor Nicole Alexander Scott has. Uh, Excuse me. Yes, Dr. Nicole Alexander Scott has resigned, or she her, she's announced her resignation. Mm-hmm. She she uh, will continue to serve for the next couple of weeks, and then she'll stay on staff as a consultant for uh, the next three months. Yeah. But uh, if you wanted to read more about her and her bio and some of her accomplishments, uh, WPRI had a great article that just kind of summarized uh, some of her outstanding work in that department. Um, outstanding but- work. Yeah, I want to be generous. It's it's um, her. She's she didn't die. No, you but... know when someone dies, you usually say good things about them, even if they were a horrible person. <laughs> what are you saying? She's a horrible person. I'm not saying she's a horrible person. Okay, and I wish her all the best as she looks for employment elsewhere. I really do, and I mean that sincerely. I would never wish ill will on anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, not even you know, a political opponent. This is just nobody. But I mean, in all honesty, we we strongly disagreed with some of the policies that came out of the Department of Health. Um, yes, policies that... Namely the, the vaccine mandate. Die alone. That, right. Go ahead. Do you want to... Yeah. Do you want to list <laughs> off some of them? Well, I mean, you were mentioning one, but I, I go back to the seniors that died alone and, you know, the constituent, uh, the story that I shared in the State of the State, I did the State of the State response uh, last year. And, you know, her mom was 90, I'm sorry, she's 100 years old because I went to her 100th birthday and she was calling her daughter and she was all alone. She was scared Mm. and she just wanted someone to come visit her. And she died all alone in her um, assisted living apartment. And that is a gut-wrenching story. When you hear someone explain or tell the story, their their mother was afraid and alone and she just wanted one of her kids to come visit her. Um, that's a story that will be forever seared in my memory. Right. And we let people die all alone. Um, children, uh, in schools, um, you know, thankfully we're, the kids are back in schools, but, um, we, I just feel, I feel like we can turn a new leaf. There's a fresh yeah. chapter and, you know, and some chapter of those, for us. some of those policies may have, uh, been, heavy-handed obviously the yeah she was um you know through of course with the uh uh leadership of the governor or governors under her uh, under her leadership she um she was navigating through the pandemic and having to make very tough difficult decisions but um uh a decision like that with the nursing homes that was that yeah that, that was probably way too heavy-handed especially if family members know that you know they're willing to take the risk, and if the uh, the elderly person is 
you know, if it's clear they're on their way out or they're in hospice yeah. and they just want to be That's with their family. That's another great point. I've talked to many families who are denied the ability to say goodbye to their loved one on their deathbed. Mm -hmm. Still today. Yeah. Um, were there any other policies that you, you wanted to highlight before we The we vaccine mandate for, what was that? I don't know. Okay, we'll check it out later. Yeah. <laughs> um, the policy for these individuals to have COVID positive healthcare workers mm -hmm. allowed back into nursing homes and Eleanor Slater Hospital while we have perfectly healthy COVID negative individuals, although unvaccinated, mm -hmm. unable to work. So now Eleanor Slater has exploded with COVID cases mm. amongst patients, almost at 50% of the patient, patient population. They're we, sick with, uh, with, COVID. with Corona? Wow. So we have incredibly heavy handed policies regarding individuals with not even taking into account, um, you know, these, these are, these are things that individuals that's to me, you know, they're, they're, um, what are they? They have immunity, natural right. immunity, or that they're COVID negative and they would, would be willing to take tests and wear the proper PPE. And we have a healthcare crisis. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, like when we say crisis, some people think, oh, okay, hyperbolic language. No, people in the emergency departments are afraid of our healthcare collapse, that mm -hmm. it's imminent. Yeah. That is a serious, <laughs> those are serious problems. Mm -hmm. And it's they, not hyperbole at all. No, it's not hyperbole. And that, falls squarely on the Department of Health and their director, who happens to be Dr. Alexander Scott. Right. But the buck doesn't stop there. Mm -hmm. It's the governor's fault as, as well. Um, Is that uh, too strong? Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I, um, be honest. I think it's, um, I, I think you're right. If, if the, the policies were coming from the leadership at the Department of Health. She was the leader. And these are policies that were not good. You highlighted, you know, not allowing unvaccinated healthcare workers who tested negative to come in and help um, alleviate this crisis. But then sending in COVID positive, that's another, you know, that seems to be two glaring problems. You mentioned the nursing home issue earlier. That's three. I think the fourth one was just the, the uh, maybe it's, uh, uh, my uh, my appreciation for religious liberty, but their refusal to acknowledge mm -hmm. a religious exemption when healthcare workers across the state were um, wanted to be exempt from the vaccination right. mandate. I yeah. think that was troubling for me, just on a, a civil liberties and personal liberty, uh, religious liberty kind of uh, level. I found that very alarming and not in step at all with Rhode Island's longstanding tradition and heritage of uh, protecting and, yeah. and respecting I'm with you on that. Uh, liberty of conscience, soul liberty, you know, what, what you want to inject or allow into your body should be up to you. Um, many, I, and I get the argument, I, I've heard it so many times that there are no major denominations that um, have supported a, uh, you know, an anti-vax position or, um, you know, nowhere in the Bible does it say you can't, you, you, you don't have to take a, a vaccine. Well, the Bible doesn't talk about vaccines at all. But what Roger Williams' point was that every single person, um, not a denomination, you know, you don't need to rely on your church or pastor or denomination, but your conscience could speak to you and give you liberty. So I just, I was upset that uh, uh, she 
I don't know if she, if the policy originated with her or she just implemented it, or, but uh, she was the leader. Yeah. And I was troubled that that was, that yeah. was another. So yeah. that's four big right. missteps or mistakes. I think that um, obstinance on their part is mm -hmm. also really troubling because as a government, um, as the executive branch, especially the governor, when you are presented with information, then you should be able to adjust your approach. Mm -hmm. And so when we were, you know, when we were helped with this healthcare crisis, um, knowing that we could alleviate the problem and the strain on our healthcare system by allowing these individuals to come back to work, instead they, you know, like, You're I don't want to say the like unvaccinated. The unvaccinated. Right. It's like little, you know, um, uh, I don't want to say children, but you know, you stomp your feet and you're like, no, this is my position. I'm right. You're wrong. And it's this obstinance where you're not able to take in information and say, okay, you know what? Maybe, you know, I don't, I don't like having unvaccinated workers, mm -hmm. but because they test negative and they won't pose a threat to our most vulnerable. So for me, you know, obviously the religious, religious liberties are very important um, because I took an oath to protect uh, the constitution, but um, this obstinance where it, it's almost, I don't want to say it's political, but it almost feels like, okay, that's like a Republican stance. I can't do what Republicans are, are suggesting. I see. Yeah. It, um, it is troubling when you can't adjust, you can't make adjustments or changes when it looks like, oh, maybe, maybe this policy was bad and maybe we need to make some adjustments and, lighten up on this insistence that a hundred percent of the state get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Um, the other, I'm going to just go to uh, the department of health since I'm, <laughs> since I'm looking at my notes, the things that I wanted to say. And, mm -hmm. um, I guess this will be my grievances. So <laughs> and since the, at the beginning of the pandemic, I had been emailing the department of health on various issues and they were never really forthcoming. Mm. And, as I tell people, it's kind of like these like canned responses and carefully curated, sterilized, and then presented to to me and to other individuals. And th there had been times where I'm going to actually give you an example now. I had asked the Department of Health how many individuals were no longer employed uh, because of being unvaccinated, and they said we don't keep that data. And then I read in the Providence Journal and quote. Um, it was Kate Mulvaney, and I quote she, from her article, says, the state reported that 5,700, just over 5,700 of its 61... Oh, 57,000. Excuse me, 57,000 yeah. um, of its 61,000 medical workers have been vaccinated with 365 receiving a medical exemption. Mm. Now, I had asked the Department of Health for that data. They didn't provide it to me, but they provided it to the media. And then when I asked about it, they said, um, no, we don't keep track. I said, okay, so maybe it's the way I'm asking the question. I'm thinking to myself, is there a way that I'm supposed to ask the question so that they don't evade You need me? an attorney or a lawyer to, to draft it for you. Huh? Yeah, apparently, because it's clear now that as the state reports, they think only a couple of thousand, I mean, a couple of hundred. They think a couple of hundred lost their job. It's actually a couple of thousand hmm. healthcare providers that could possibly have lost their jobs. Wow. Wow. Yeah, a wide discrepancy there. <laughs> uh, huge discrepancy. Huge discrepancy. And you're not telling me that if we had a couple of thousand healthcare workers back on the job, that that wouldn't alleviate 
this crisis. I'm not right. saying the crisis would go away, right. but would we alleviate a lot of problems? Yeah. Here's another issue. I was talking to an individual, uh, a good friend of mine. <clears throat> His daughter happens to be a nurse. And he said that she came home in tears, absolutely broken down because the ratio to each nurse, a patient's to nurse is dangerous. And she is afraid that a patient in her care will die because of her negligence, not because of willful negligence, but because the, there are just too many patients for her to care for. Mm. These are real stories. Yeah. These are not, you know, this isn't some, you know, movie, although I feel like I'm watching a train wreck, a movie here, of, but these are real individuals and real real occurrences happening at our state hospitals right and um and obviously you have to put the uh responsibility on the department of health 100 and its leader so so all in all what do you make of her resignation do you think that she was um asked to resign at the wpri article and all of the the press uh coverage seems to say that she wasn't being forced out that uh that uh, Governor McKee even asked her to stay on, but she uh, uh, she declined. You know, some of that is politics. Uh, I, you know, saying, "Oh, I asked her to stay." I don't know if he did. I don't know if they he asked. But there was her some privately. tension, they, I gather, yes. between the two of them. Yes, that is actually something someone mentioned to me. They said, "You know, I'm not surprised because there's a lot of tension between them." Um, that's the story everybody wants to know. What's mm -hmm. the real reason behind mm -hmm. her her resignation? Right. Are you? <laughs> I'll let you get your Sorry about out. that. I'm going to sip some tea. Are you um, hopeful that that um, now that we are looking at new leadership coming in, that we may actually have um, maybe a new approach to dealing with the, the pandemic? I mean, it is even a different pandemic. If Omicron is as mild as South Africa and the UK and a lot of the studies are starting to show, it's, it, it's of course, very uh, transmissible but it just seems to be the symptoms are much more mild. Are you hopeful that that will lead the Department of Health to uh, make some adjustments on the policies and guidelines, uh, you know, for, for the state? Um, I'm not a doctor and I don't pretend to be one or, or a medical professional. So I'm just going off of the information that I read in the media from healthcare professionals. And, um, you know, these are well-respected healthcare professionals and they believe that we're moving into a phase of called the endemic where we're going to have to live with COVID, but we're going to need to, um, I'm not going to compare it to the flu, but, mm -hmm. um, I'll compare it in, in the way that we'll have to live with it, that there right. will be spikes throughout right. the year. Right. Um, they, they have said that, um, even I think it was the WHO or the CDC, I think it was the WHO has already said that everyone will get. COVID, everyone, yeah. one way or another, one variant or another, you will get it. Right. The idea of eliminating this thing from the world is, uh, you know, that ship sailed 18 months ago. Right. So it's, um, it's here to stay. Right. And now it's a matter of how do we, uh, or how do you, you know, you're a policymaker and lawmaker, how do lawmakers and policymakers uh, adjust? To something that's going to continue to be with us right. do we continue to shut down restaurants and you know boosters every three months or six months um 
you know, vaccination passports. Is this the future? And I think you've been saying, no, we, we have to expect that if this virus is like others, it will mutate to become less, um, less, uh, what's the word, less harmful or, I mean, less lethal. Yeah. Less lethal. Yeah. Right. Um, that's the hope. And I know that's what, um, healthcare professionals have been looking at is that as the virus mutates, it becomes, um, more infectious, but not as deadly. Right. Right. Yeah. Just like, uh, the flu and, that's our and the hope. cold. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so maybe it does eventually mutate to a variant that is so mild that it is more like the flu or, or a cold. We, I hope so. But the, the thing is, is we need to balance the needs of, um, of Rhode Islanders mm -hmm. and those needs we've seen healthcare, um, not healthcare, uh, mental health. I was talking to a mental health therapist. She said, um, she has so many, um, not references, but, uh, you know, referrals, excuse right. me. She can't keep up. Yeah. There aren't enough therapists. And she said, um, using, um, substances to cope during mm -hmm. the pandemic has skyrocketed. We know that suicide has increased, um, using, um, substances to cope has mm -hmm. increased. I just said yeah. that. Yeah. So we know that there's more than just hospitalizations, but there, and it's not just COVID that's had a, a negative mental um, health right. problem on us. It's, it's the isolation. Yeah. It's yeah. the, um, uh, yeah, the, the, the constant stream of negative news mm -hmm. and people getting the sense that it is the end of the world. And what does that mean? And should I just give up? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I saw a lot of overdoses and, um, did my fair share of funerals as a result. And we also had, uh, many, many people that I was referring to therapists and the mm -hmm. therapists were telling me that they were, um, they were booked three, four, five months out that yeah. they're just, you know, they're, they're, there's no availability because of the, the needs out there. When you know the mental health therapists are receiving therapy themselves because of the, the, how traumatic the year has been, um, you know, the issues are much greater than just the coronavirus, right. that there's all these other problems, unintended problems that have leaked out. So for the Department of Health, I just think that um, we could have done better by Rhode Islanders. And again, I wish Dr. Alexander Scott the very best. I wish her and her family the very best. And um, everywhere, uh, you know, every opportunity for her would it. I just think that we do need a fresh approach here in Rhode Island. And it's probably for the best. Right. But I don't wish her any ill will. Yeah, she. I think she certainly tried to do her best. Definitely, and, um, I for she, sure. One thing I have to give her credit: she uh, picked a strategy or strategies, and she stuck with them. She really did not. She was immovable to those. Now, if you disagreed with those strategies, you hated yeah. it. Yeah, and it was. It felt like constant warfare. But if uh, you agreed with her in her strategy, her strategies, you probably would say she was very steady and a steady hand you yeah. know, at the Department of Health. This leads to the question, mm -hmm. if she leaves, there's now going to be a vacancy and the governor will have to appoint someone in her place. Um, have you started to think through what kind of um, person, because you'll likely be voting or, you know, having some say on this yeah. since you're on many of these committees. Have you given any thought to the vetting process for the next Department of Health director? Well, I, I have. 
And so technically I'm not on the health and human services committee. But and, you're the Senate minority whip, which right. gives you the ability to weigh in. To jump in in committee mm -hmm. and sit. So if I'm able to, if I don't have my own committees that night, um, that will be something that I would plan on doing. And I do have questions because I, I want to know how this next individual, are they going to respect religious liberty and religious exemptions? Are they going to be transparent to the media and to lawmakers? Because that's not something that we've seen mm -hmm. this time uh, with this administration or the last. Um, are they going to make an effort to bring back the unvaccinated workers to mitigate the staffing shortage? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we were just talking about mental health and overdoses and people even delaying medical procedures. How are they going to fix that? How are they going to, because it's not just like, oh, I'm going in for, you know, plastic surgery. No, these are people that have cancer mm -hmm. or maybe screening they uh, has been put off. Yeah. Yeah. These are serious medical procedures. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about equity and listen, I know that there's racism in the world and it's a terrible thing, but, um, are, you know, these health equity zones, how about just treating Rhode Islanders equally hmm. without factoring their race. Is that going to be a factor for this new Department of Health director? Um, so I have a lot of questions. Those are good <laughs> questions. And I think uh, we'll have to see what the next Department of Health um, director, uh, what, what what his or her positions will be. And hopefully it will be someone that's willing to uh, be more forthcoming and um, and responsive to your questions and the questions a lot of Rhode Islanders have had. So to, uh, before we end, yes. I, this is one thing I wanted to mention. I didn't, and I should have mentioned it earlier, but I do want to add that, um, for my constituents that are listening, and even if you're not a constituent and it's something that you're interested in, you know, that Zamborano and Eleanor Slater are very important to me. Um, and I have been asking questions because we were one of the facilities that allowed COVID positive individuals mm. to care for our, right. our residents. That made national news. Made national news. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I have been asking questions about um, things like have parents and guardians, were they notified um, that COVID positive individuals be caring for their, their loved one? And we're not sure. The, the Department of Health wasn't sure, you know, was anyone who had symptoms allowed to work on people who were not COVID positive? The answer is yes, they were. Mm. Um, first, they were not sure, but were, I was told that yes, COVID positive individuals are working for non COVID, working on patients who are non COVID positive. Um, we're not sure what type of mask they use, these mm -hmm. COVID positive individuals, when they were working in the hospital. Um, were not sure if they did contact tracing because now contact it's so prevalent in the community that it's almost impossible to figure out um how this this um outbreak started in the hospital true um and you know i know a lot of people have said to me well jessica you know they're only working they're only going to work on covid positive individuals well we already established that didn't happen and honestly unless we're you know using Star Trek technology and mm -hmm. beaming in and out of patient rooms, these COVID positive individuals are exposing themselves to staff right. and to patients. Right. They um, will come into contact with people. And will. if, and Omicron is so virulent, uh, it will, it will be transmiss, uh, uh, transmitted. It will. And so, you know, what I try to tell people is I try to put myself in their shoes 
if, if my family member was living as Zamborano, if I was the patient as Zamborano, I, how would I feel about these policies? And I would be very upset. I would be angry. Mm. So anyways, just wanted to leave that in there. All right. Well, I'm glad you updated everyone on Zamborona Hospital. We know that there are a lot of uh, listeners that uh, are watching that situation closely. We have to continue to, um, to to pray for our governor and our state. And I would encourage those people of faith that are listening to do so. Pray for Dr. Uh, Alexander Scott as well. Um, all right. Well, I want to thank you guys for listening to today's episode of Rhode Island's Church and State. Stick around for today's closing quotation. Today's closing quote Deciding what to do is just as important as deciding what not to do. Thanks again for listening. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, help us by subscribing and sharing these episodes. And for more content, check out churchandstateri.com.